I just want to finish up our series this morning called, Are You Ready for Christmas? This is a question that we ask this time of year. Uh, people, family members ask each other that when you see somebody uh, in the mall or out on the street or in the marketplace, a lot of, time, a lot of times we say, hey, are you ready for Christmas? And I, I thought, well, what does that mean, are you ready for Christmas? What do you have to do to get ready for Christmas? Buy gifts, I guess that's certainly one thing you do to get ready for Christmas. Maybe put up your tree uh, or your decorations. Maybe that's another thing you do to get ready for Christmas. I, but I don't know, when people ask that question, are you ready for Christmas? As if, you know, what is about to happen, you know, are you ready for it? You know, it's a, it's a huge thing. And actually, when we ask that question, it's a very accurate question. And I don't know that we realize uh, actually the accuracy of that question. Are you ready for Christmas? Not are you ready because you have your tree up. Not are you ready because you have all of your gifts purchased and wrapped. Come on. Not are you ready because you have all of your Christmas cards sent out. But are you ready because the implications of what happened at Christmas 2,000 years ago changed the world completely it changed everything everything changed when jesus was born and so this question are you ready for christmas is one we can look in the mirror and ask ourselves i wonder if the jewish people the israelites back at that time of course they didn't have the word christmas as we said but I just wonder if they, based on the prophecies and uh, what they knew was coming, if they asked that question, are you ready for what's about to happen? I know they anticipated it. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas? Well, this series, Are You Ready for Christmas, takes us to 1 John. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to 1 John chapter 1. Many people would expect if you're given a message on Christmas that you would go to Luke chapter 2. We'll talk about that next week if that's okay with you. Uh, But what I want to talk about today is what Christmas meant. That's what we're talking about when we say, are you ready for Christmas? What did it actually mean? What did it mean? There are two words this morning that I believe uh, we should recognize as uh, the implications of Christmas. Those words are life and love. We talked about the hope that was coming when the Messiah would be born. We talked last week about your expectations. That hope is coming. Well, what are your expectations for Christmas? What do you expect? And I just want to share with you a little bit this morning about the manifestation of hope and expectations. And these two words, life and love. Life. What a great word that is, life. Each of us has the gift of life that was given to us by the creator, the ability to breathe, the ability to interact, the ability to see and hear and and realize our purpose and do things. And then we were offered a second life, the gift of eternal life. And although this life of abundance and peace is a choice, It's available to all of us. Life, the gift of life. And the word love, what a great word that is as well. It's probably one that's overused in one perspective, 
But I would say that it's grossly underused in another perspective. Come on, the real meaning of love. Simply because life and love are the reasons that Jesus came, we can look at Christmas as the second most impactful event in the history of the world. Love, I define love personally as the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of others. And with that definition in mind, what greater or better embodiment of love than the birth of Jesus Christ? He left his place in glory, as we have heard so many times, his place in eternity, and became like us so that he could reconcile us unto himself. Jesus himself crossed infinite barriers just to be with you. That's what Christmas means. Life and love. If you were there in the stable in the midst of the animals and the hay and the smell and all of that, and you saw the shepherds come, and you asked the question, what is this? What is the meaning of this? What does this all mean? I believe John answered the question in 1 John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, he said this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen in her, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you so that your joy may be full. He says that life was manifested. So in other words, the life was already there. The life had been there. That which was from the beginning. That means when the beginning happened, the life was already there. But it was manifested to us. Now, we, this is a word that we hear often in Christian circles. Manifested. Manifest destiny. Manifestation of this and that. What does manifested mean? Probably also an overused word. But manifest means this. It means to make clear or evident to the eye of the understanding. To show plainly. To prove. To put beyond doubt or question. So you see Christians, you see saints. Manifestation is not some strange mist over in the air. Oh, the manifestation. No, manifest, manifest means I see it. Manifest means it is proven. It is shown plainly. There's no question. There's no doubt. That's what man, So next time you hear a message on manifest, come on. This is what it means. Well, Jesus... And this is what separates, I believe, Christianity from so many other religions, is that 
Most other religions will tell you, as I said last week, how to get there. How do you get to heaven? They'll tell you these three steps or these four things you must do or these things that you must achieve. But Jesus manifested himself, come on, in order to reconcile you unto him. He didn't leave any doubt. That's the difference, saints. There's no doubt. There's no question. He is your creator. He is the lover of your soul. He is your redeemer. He is your salvation. He is your deliverance. He is everything to you. He is your life and he is your love. And there is no doubt. Well, why is it important that Jesus manifest himself? I mean, others can say, well, you know, to get there, you need to do this and you need to do these four steps and you need to achieve this. And that seems like a reasonable thing to do. I mean, if I want to stop smoking cigarettes or stop drinking alcohol, I go to the 12-step program and that seems like a reasonable thing to do. Why is it important that Jesus manifest himself? Well, I believe the one who wrote this proverb summed it up for us. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred, come on, makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, and I don't believe that these next words are just words that were thrown in there. These were our words of purpose. It is a tree of life. A tree of life. The New Century Version puts it this way. It says, it is sad not to get what you hoped for. But wishes that come true are like eating fruit from the tree of life. The tree of life was in the garden when God created man along with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember, the tree of life was not off limits. The tree of life was not off limits when God first created man and woman, not until after they'd eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was it then off limits. Back in Genesis 3, God, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Now, hope has come, and it's like eating from the tree of life, eternal life, that we might reach out and eat the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. Come on now. When Jesus was born, hope was manifested. What was that hope? It was eternal life, like eating From the tree of life. Do you realize that when Jesus was born, eternity, eternal life was born. It was given to you. That life was manifested. What did the Jewish people expect with the coming of the Messiah? John said in his gospel, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When the beginning came, he was there. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
did not comprehend it. The Amplified says this, the, the, the darkness is unreceptive to it. They can't be in the same place at the same time. That's what happened when, when God comes on the scene. When Christ was born, the darkness comprehended it not. That's why Satan didn't know what to do with him other than to try to kill him, to try to get people to kill him. I can't be in the same place. So I'm going to try to get someone to kill him, get rid of him. Come on. What is life? Our dictionary doesn't even have a good definition of life. It really doesn't. Our dictionary de describes life as the quality that distinguishes a vital and functioned human being from a dead body. I mean, that's true. But what is the quality? You didn't really define life. You just told me it's something that makes something alive. And I would venture to say I could have written that in the dictionary. Come on. What is life? You're alive. Oh, that's great. But what is it? What is it? What is this quality? Come on. I mean, organization, homeostasis, metabolism, growth, reproduction, unicellular organisms, multicellular organisms. Come on, I've taken intro to biology. It's, it's never described what life really is. Here are three words that I think scientists would do well to say sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. But because they have to know and everything has to be explained scientifically, we have to have a definition for life. But life itself cannot be defined, folks. Not truly. I mean, we can give uh, metaphors and we can give examples. We can say pneuma and breath, but we really don't know what life is. We really don't know what life is. We must understand that physical matter does not give rise to life, as scientists would say. I'm not trying to be too scientific for you this morning, but I'm telling you that the schools will teach your children that the Big Bang Theory says that there was physical matter, and when there was an explosion, all of a sudden it gave rise to life. And I would tell you, impossible, even by scientific standards. It's an oxymoron to scientists Yet they believe the theory. Life gives rise to matter. There must be life first before there can be matter. You can't have matter and then have life out of matter. For billions of years, you're telling me with no creator, no intelligence, no design, no purpose, no plan, there emerges mindless, lifeless, random matter and energy. Not only to the irreducible complexities of interdependent biology, but also this glorious thing called living personhood. In other words, what I'm saying is a, a living personhood with, uh, with feeling, with a heart. And I'm not talking about your physical heart. With thoughts. All of this comes out of mindless, lifeless matter. Impossible. Come on. You have to agree with me there. I mean, that, that can't happen. That can't happen. This life that was already here, as far as you can think back, take a moment and think back to the beginning. 
Now, go back a little bit past that, and you'll see that life was already here. But at that point, you got to go back a little bit further. And when you go back there, you see that life was there already. But then you say, okay, let me go back some more. I can keep doing this. I'll be out in the parking lot. Eternity passed. That means no beginning. Life was already here. That's the life that was manifested on what we call Christmas. That's what was manifested. Not just you or I, someone like you or I born. Come on, something biological was born. The, the eternal life was manifested to us. Scripture says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. It was the Word of life, and that life was manifested. What does that mean for us? The birth of Christ brings eternal life to us. He didn't just birth eternal life just to say, hey, I'm just showing you that life was here. He did it for a purpose. He had nothing to prove to us. But he did it to reconcile, not only reconcile us to him, but to bring eternal life to us so that we could have eternal life. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for eternal life to be manifested? That's what's wrapped up in that question. So life, he gave life to us. But the second word, love. The overused, underused word, love. You must realize that love was also manifested. We must realize that love created the universe. You don't think love is important? Songwriter once wrote, what's love got to do with it? But I'll tell you, when we're talking about true love, I'm not talking about earthly love between a couple. Come on. But when you're talking about love that created the universe, it has everything to do with it. There can be nothing without this love. We try to metaphorically describe what love is. Even my definition falls short. The giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. But it's the only way I can describe what Jesus did and who he is. He gave of himself at the expense of himself for the benefit of, not for his benefit, but for our benefit. Listen to some illustrations of love. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, sentenced a a soldier to be shot for his crimes. This execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew, okay? This bell that rang, curfew. However, this night, the bell didn't ring. And the soldier's fiance had climbed to the belfry and clung to the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking. When she was summoned by Cromwell to account for her actions, she wept and she showed him her bruised and bleeding hands. Cromwell's heart was touched and he said, your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Are you ready for love? Love is sacrifice. 
C. Morley said this. If we discovered that we had five minutes, think about this. If we discovered that we had five minutes left to say uh, all we wanted to say, every telephone booth would be occupied by people calling other people. He wrote this back in 1990, so I suppose now it would be every cell phone and every cell phone tower. It would be occupied. Every phone would be occupied by people calling other people to stammer that they love them. I've only got five minutes left. But here's my question for you. Why wait till the last five minutes? Love is given away. That's what it is. Many years ago, a shabbily dressed boy trudged several miles through the snowy streets of Chicago. True story. He was determined to attend a Bible class that was conducted by D.L. Moody. How many have heard of D.L. Moody? Some. Come on. When he arrived, he was asked, Why did you come to Sunday school so far away? Why didn't you go to one of the churches near your own home? He said, simply, Because you love a fellow over here. Love is impressive. And when I say impressive, I don't mean you're impressed by it, which you are and should be. But what I mean is it makes an impression. Come on. Love is impressive. A young man said to his father at breakfast one morning, Dad, I'm going to get married. Dad said, how do you know you're ready to get married? I mean, are you in love? I sure am, said the son. Well, how do you know you're in love? Asked the father. He said, last night, I was giving my girlfriend a goodbye kiss, and her dog bit me. But I didn't feel the pain until I got home. <laughs> love is focus. Come on now. All of these fall short of describing Jesus and the love that he has for us. They fall short in describing Jesus and the love he gives to us. And they certainly fall short in describing Jesus and the love that he is. Because you see, Jesus just doesn't give love. Jesus, come on. He is love. He is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what do I surmise from that? Love created the universe. Love created you and I. Love manifested himself in the flesh, and love gave himself for you and I. Love did that. We call his name Jesus but he's the one that created us. He's the one that manifested himself. And he's the one that gave himself. Love did that. What is love? How can we describe it? How can we know it? It is silence when your words would hurt. It's patience when your neighbors curt. It's deafness when a scandal flows. It's thoughtfulness for others' woes. It is promptness when stern duty calls, and it is courage when misfortune falls. 
You see, love ever gives, forgives, and outlives. Come on. And ever stands with open hands. And while it lives, it gives, for this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. Richard Halverson said, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional, impartial, everlasting, infinite, and perfect. So are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for love to manifest? Amen.